All right, guys, welcome back to another podcast. This is episode number 26, Conscious Conversation with the lovely Craig Seaton. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. How are you doing? Very good, yeah. So what were you saying about your tea? Oh, yeah, just got these Japanese teacups. Love them. Don't know if you guys can see those, but yeah. Beautiful. Do they... Oh, you can just lightly feel the heat on the yeah, outside. Yeah, pretty decent. Oof. Yeah. So what kind of tea are you drinking? Uh, this is cacao and turmeric. Um, I thought it was, looks more like honey, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Does it? it has kind of like a hun- honey taste to it, actually. But yeah, it's great. Really nice. So when I was in York, there's a tea, I think called Hebden Teas. I'll always buy like loose leaf teas from there, mm. bang it in the kettle, let it stew. And yeah, I love it. I always wanted a, a Japanese tea set as well. Right. Big love for the Japanese culture and the simplicity and the grace that they do things, how they turn everything into an art. Yeah, I just thought, oh, buy some more just a little gift. Um, but the tea, fantastic, man. It looks it looks quite nice as well. Um, I'm not really a big tea fan because of obvious reasons, I've told you. I will not say it on <laughs> camera, but yeah. Um, I just think, yeah, I've never really been a fan of hot drinks. And it's something that we mentioned before. I think it's because of the, I'm mainly kaffir. And I think kappa, is it kappa? Kappa, kappa. Mm. And you're the same as well, right? No, mm. so no, you were Peter. Um, Peter. Peter. Sorry, not kaffir, Peter, which is the um, fiery element. Yeah. Yeah, so... I always felt like any hot drinks in the body, just they don't, I don't like hot drinks. I think cold drinks are for me. Mm. And people say, why don't you just drink tea cold? And then that defeats the purpose of tea. Well, I, a lot of my tea I drink cold, man. Oh really? Yeah, like when it's hot, can't touch it. Right. Ah, she's like, she can drink lava. Like as soon as it's out of the kettle, she can drink yeah. it. I'm not like that. I have to let it, there's a the right temperature for me with teas. Yeah. And like this, when it's hot, won't touch it, but you'll get to that medium to lower side and then you can enjoy it then. And I like that as well because it gives me time with the drink, you know, rather than um, I, the mechanism that I put it in with is if I'm going to read or write something, I'll get the cacao or a tea or a coffee, whatever it is, have it set. Yeah. And I'll just start the reading and writing, knowing that the drink is kind of a part of the ritual because I can't tuck into it straight away. So it's it gives me the, the sense of what I'm about to do is, it's got duration, it's quite mm. long. So it just adds to it for me. I think the, it's like what you just said there, where some people just have a tolerance on their tongue. Mm. Like my lips and my tongue can't take any hot foods or mm. anything that's too like temperature hot. And uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, I find the whole process quite interesting. What were we talking about before the podcast? We were saying about your friend. Mm. Let's go a bit more into that. So your friend's having- Yeah, yeah, he's heart palpitating. In fact, he's the third guy that I know he's having these issues where he's getting heart palpitations. So might be a good topic to talk about here in case anybody else is going through the, the same sort of thing. Health is fantastic. Trained in the gym all the time, like not excessively. Mm. Healthy, got a wise head on his shoulders. Eats well. Was taking in too much caffeine, which he's dropped down. And like you say, it's helped a little bit. Um, but yeah, just having heart palpitations. And so as I say, there's two other guys, so there's three of them in total. Mm. All trained, all healthy no reasons why this would come from the doctors can't find anything with scans and whatnot um so where's it coming from mm. uh, possibly an emotional symptom uh, more likely blockages is what i would just assume again i don't know in depth to, to say that outright but i think it'll be more of an emotional issue and i was talking to my friend about it as well as the one of the other guys and saying that it, how your body works you can think one thing and you're going to affect something on you so mm. you can think a negative thing repeatedly and then you'll start to feel down and tired and sad and depressed um, or you can think positive things and yeah I'm optimistic and you get a sense of energy with that so there's that just to put in a box and keep in mind that we can do that 
with ourselves almost instantly instantly when we get very responsive towards mm-hmm. it and know that the outside world doesn't have to stimulate the feelings um, not stimulate the feelings because it will but the outside world doesn't have to be the controller of what we're feeling when we have that level of development and awareness inside so we know that um, and then, but what about the unconscious blockages or what about that thing that's scratching at us every day just that little thing like no no I can push it off and or the thing that we're not attending to or the big question is should I do this with my life or that and we let those things stew inside for not days but months but even years for some of them that emotion and that energy has to do something to the body it has to be creating something yeah um, blockages or something that's repressed or whether it's a lack of belief in ourselves, whatever it can be there's a feeling going to be generated with that sense of we're not doing something with it um and it may not be in that spectrum it may be in another field but that energy is there and yeah just bring into mind is this a reason why because this is three guys and i'm just looking at what's in my life and what's being reflected out in the world that i live in and it's three guys all of a similar age all quite healthy um two of them have a very difficult outlook and a hard view on life right, right. um one of them is quite balanced but i believe there's suppressed issues so from what i'm seeing in a neutral view is it's coming emotionally there's something there mm. so it's not physiologically nah checked out doctors i mean doctors this is why you sort of have to look at alternative medicine as well because the general doctors nope your heart looks fine you're healthy you've got chest pains why they can't tell you mm. which is like says to me well look at anxiety and stress and things from the mental level and the emotional level it's the only way it can can be coming from mm. another issue with the eastern and west doctor practice is well, the scanner says it's fine, even though you're having these palpitations for hours. Scanner says you're fine. You're like, mm. well, there's obviously something there that the general medicine overlooks. Well, it's interesting you say that because my sister, my little sister, um, she had this weird, it wasn't even an epileptic seizure, but she just kind of passed out, fell on the ground, and she felt like one side of her body was completely numb. And, uh, and when they did the scans, there was nothing there. And I said to her, look, you know, there's something going on. And obviously, where you come from, an Eastern background, and my father's very much into the Eastern medicine. Um, but and I said, you've got to look at wh- how you're living. When we talk about the average human being, and that's what we we base our scientific studies on—the average human being and, and a, a general population of people. Um, the average might not necessarily mean good, like the, the general sort of health outcome. Because if you think about it, the average when they have like the average BMI and stuff. When I was body. Um, when I was training with weights and stuff and I was gaining a bit more muscle, I was considered, um, I think it was fat, mm. as opposed to being obese, there's obviously different stages, but I was considered fat, I was over the weight I should be. But And the doctor was like, obviously, clearly, you're, it's through muscle. So I was like, then how do you prescribe that to, to people when mm. you, yes, you might say to the average person, if you're having a lifestyle where you, you barely move around and you barely do any, any activity, and then your BMI is a certain level, how can you just suddenly prescribe them, you know, and tell them based on this index means that you're fat or you need to lose weight and this and that, mm. when you know nothing about their, their full history and, and, uh, and even their genetics? Because if you think about it, um, for us, coming from a farming background, naturally speaking, my brother and I and my, my family have wider shoulders than, than the average person. And that's from our, our genetics. And uh, yeah, these little predispositions, we don't really consider them in the BMI index um, and the average sort of values we give people. And they're, they're great for the general population just to figure out basic sort of health guidelines. But when it comes to specific guidelines, they don't do justice. And yet the system will still use those basic guidelines 
as a default measurement. Mm-hmm. And I think it's still quite dangerous because this is where I don't really blame the system because obviously you have to standardize it. But this is where you as an individual have to take that, again, responsibility to kind of figure out what the issue is. And I said to my sister, the food you're consuming is catching up on you. You know, the pizza, eating out all the time, eating foods like deep fried Indian foods from outside. I said, it's all going to catch up. And I said to her, again, you're satisfying your taste and you're not really satisfying the nutritional aspect of what your body needs. Um, because of that, yes, the scans might not show anything right now because it's in the early stages of of developing, but later on down the line, it's gonna bite you in the ass and you really need to think about it. Um, she's only just turned 25, so I said, yeah, you can get away with what you were doing when you were much younger, but now you're not young anymore. So these little things, so when you said uh, about your three friends having those heart palpitations, <clears throat> it's a good sign that, you know, if you don't address this issue right now, or you, if you don't look into it, it might turn out to be a lot worse in the future. Then the, it will show up, but then by then it'll be too late to kind of treat it, especially when it, when it comes to these sort of conditions where heart issues and, and brain-related issues, it's dangerous to kind of do, we know it's dangerous to do operations on them, and certain medication, you know, the brain and the heart doesn't like particular medications, um, and it's definitely not something you want to get into when it comes to addressing it later on in life. So it's best to address it now, figure out what's causing the issue. So for your friends, like you said, it might be an emotional blockage or emotional issue that they've not addressed or trauma from, you know, something in their childhood they've not come to terms with. With my sister, I said, you know, it's definitely mostly related to your diet. So during her studies, she'll have this these moments where she'll have these really horrible headaches from blacking out. So I, I used to have this as well. When I was sleeping at, God knows, like two o'clock in the morning and I'm waking up, at seven, eight o'clock, um, or maybe even later, like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, that wasn't good for my body. Um, and I remember experiencing these sort of blackouts where everything starts to become fuzzy. So your peripheral vision becomes fuzzy and all you can see is your your main focal vision. Your, your What's it called now? I forgot what it's called. But your main focal vision, the rest of it becomes fuzzy. Um, and there's a condition and there's a word for it, but once you get that feeling of sensation in your eye, you start to have headaches straight after like severe migraines right directly behind your eye. Um, and I remember experiencing it and it was horrible. Um, but I only had it here and then and I said it was related to sleep and, and stress from like exams and stuff. Hers, she had the same thing when, when she was in university, but now I think it's now progressively getting worse and it's it's kind of manifesting itself into this thing where half of her brain just shuts off and she was just on the floor and she was just like, it was almost like an epileptic, epileptic seizure. And... Uh, but then it didn't come, it didn't show up in any of the scans or anything. So yeah, as quickly as it came, it, it disappeared just as quick as well. So it's something we really need to look into. And again, it's becoming more in tune with the body. Take things out of your diet, take your daily routine out as well and do something that's not in that routine. So, you know, you wake up, you go to work, you go to bed, that's it. And if you do that, maybe slow things down, maybe take a couple of days off work and try and figure out a different type of lifestyle. Try and change your lifestyle, try and change what you're consuming uh, and try it out and try and figure out through the process of elimination. Um, but yeah, that's the only thing we can really do. Just kind of become more in tune with the body and go with what the body's telling you as opposed to using these gadgets to tell you. Now we're so over-reliant on gadgets telling us 10,000 steps a day or whatever. You know, it's moving away a bit away from that and, and living a lifestyle that we used to live for the majority of our life. Like maybe this generation doesn't have that anymore, but our generation at least had that um, when we were a lot younger. So maybe switching over the lifestyle to more of an organic sort of lifestyle will, will do us wonders. Mm, yeah, it's moving towards a lifestyle that incorporates that because there's, 
so much separation from it uh, from the get-go. Yeah. That people might not necessarily, like going out, you know, there's few people who actually know who will go out, say once a week or, or once a month to get outdoors. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it can be your lifestyle, but not as frequent as it could be, or it can just be, you know, tipping the scales a little bit. While if we just have more natural, organic, spontaneous acts in our life, I mean, the system we've got is almost so against it with the diaries and the calendars and making sure we've got everything booked in um, that it doesn't really give the freedom for that spontaneity. And that comes with the responsibility of your lifestyle as well. But the spontaneity should also be included in that responsibility to have that free time to go out and become and do some more movement or go train a different way or whatever it is. Because um, the regimented mind, well, all these uses of a regimented mind, I think it, it becomes very... Uh, a strong indicator of how we like to live is with, I was listening to a good talk with Sadhguru and he was talking about systems and he's saying how in jail you know people have got great systems mm. they've got the systems that people in the outside world are actually looking for they get fed at a certain time the doors are off the lights are out at a certain time they get up at a certain time your breaks at this time you don't have to think you know mm. you just go through it and you let, let's look at that system of what the prison is and bring it out and just remove the prison. But is that same system still something that we are craving for and that people do look for? Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we we like to have the regularity and routine, but if we're not careful, not even if, I think it just happens is we become a slave to that system already mm. and then we can't venture out of it or we get too concerned with what the outcome's gonna be if we're not following the system. and. It's using the system. There was a quote by I saw Jordan Peterson saying that you know system. It's not. It's not an issue or it's not a bad thing. It's not yeah. a slavery thing. Don't be a slave to the system, but don't be afraid to use the system. And yeah, it's finding that right balance, using it for what gets you going and what helps your body. Like you said, going to sleep at a certain time and waking up at a certain time. Very useful system. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's having the spontaneity infused with that for the right time. Yeah. So going in what, with what you said with the prison system, it's quite interesting where obviously if you go into the, the extreme prisons where there are criminals that have murdered people or you know, mass rapists, um, it's a different sort of lifestyle they live in there. There's a bit more anxiety in the environment because there's a chance of you being killed by an inmate. But in, in prisons where you know the general population end up because they've committed a minor crime, a theft or, or a battery or robbery, etc., most criminals in there have less stress than people on the outside. And this is why when they go back into the outside world, it becomes very difficult for them to integrate into society because first of all, the time that they spent in prison was at least about five or six years before they went, um, sorry, before they were reintroduced back into the world. So technology, times change, trends have changed. So it's not the world they left. And secondly, it's the fact that, like you said, You've got this solid structure of being fed three times a day, having this daily routine of, you know, being able to read stuff, watch stuff, spend more time. Again, it's more going in. You spend more time going in as opposed to going out because you think about and you self-reflect in your little cell on what's happened. Um, so, you know, a lot, of prison, a lot of prisoners end up becoming completely different people when they uh, spend more time in prison. You know, a lot of them do come out as humble people which is very interesting that that happens. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, psychologists are fascinated by prisoners for that reason, because they go, go through this horrendous experience of, you know, maybe living their early life as an adult or maybe even as a, a teenager, 
um, causing mayhem and, and maybe even murdering people. But as soon as they go into prison, they they have this discipline, like almost like an awakening. But the fact that they spend so much time on their own, sat in a cell, it becomes a very cathartic, med- meditative process, and and they walk away as completely different human beings, more sort of spiritual than most people that we see on the daily, um, on the daily streets. So. Yeah, I found that quite interesting how the system that we have in prison is better suited. It's weird to say, but it's better suited to the world we exist in right now, which is more time to yourself, having, you know, three meals a day, not having to worry about things being, you know, how where you're going to get your money from or how you're going to get food on the table um, and worrying about a job that you really hate. All that's covered for you when you're in, the system, when you're in prison. So it's almost like a luxury if you think about it. The only thing that you have to worry about is you can't get out in nature. And maybe that is the one thing that they have, that we have, that we, we benefit from. The fact that we can go wherever we want and we get access to grass, being able to feel the earth. Whereas they, they are surrounded by concrete walls and you know the environment they play around in is a concrete environment as well. So yeah, maybe that that is one of the, the only drawbacks that they have. But maybe, yeah, this is a great point where we can tie this in with the topic that we want to talk about which is equality and responsibility in the workplace which and again in a loose way it ties in the prison system you're in an environment so if you look at the typical office job you're in this wall this four four line wall four square wall where you have to kind of keep your attention on this one task at hand and that's it that's the average office job maybe you you have a slightly different job where if it's a creative job, even then you're stuck behind those four walls and you're made to do this thing until the task is done. So for generally for most people, this is where most of the stress starts. Um, and then this obviously leads to having these massive conflicts about equality and pay and stuff. So where do you want to start with the topic? Uh, I think just going into what you say now with the comparison of the system in a prison and, and the same system yeah. essentially in, in life. and. Another reason that we get into those systems that we don't have to think, uh, probably you think maybe from uneducated backgrounds or people who've you know, not had as a caring upbringing, that it's a way out in a sense that you don't have to think then, it'll be taken care of. You don't have to, you know, the issues with jails, obviously you don't have privacy, you don't get to choose the people you're spending time mm. with, and you're stuck you're in the system itself, you can't get out of that. but for some that can be better living quarters and being on the street or being raised where they've been brought up and there's no thought required you just get through maybe you have the, the fear of survival um, but you, st- you know, once that level's been established and you have a status or a name or people know you whatever maybe that subsides you still be a product of what the environment is around you it's not yes. like it's all happy and lovely and with they want in the best for each other yeah but, no, no. Um, yeah the, the system that makes you no longer have to think and where does that take us down the line? So that is installed in society for sure. People who, I mean, even managers, if you're a manager, make sure you say this, this, this and get this box ticked. I'm like, okay, the manager delegates, do this and say it's from me and whatnot. And it's like, they're still trying to tick a box. You ever mm. seen that? That There's an image of like, uh, what do you call them? Like a telephone wire. And on one stoop, the bottom like perch bit, you've got like 10 pigeons. Then the next one up, you've got like seven and then five, then three and then one at the top. Mm. And it's saying that that's how the, the system works and they're all just dropping bird droppings onto each other and it's saying, you know, the, the higher up you are, the least droppings that you get, but there's always something falling down and trickling to somebody else. And so the wet farms. The what, sorry? The wet farms that this whole COVID system uh, thing happened. Mm. It was because 
you put these animals in pens and the animals that are living on top are shitting and mm. defecating on the animals below so bacteria is you know becoming zoonotic and transferring between the animals so mm. a system like that even in a in a human system it might not be physical shit but it's still shit in the sense that you are delegating tasks that you don't want to take you wouldn't want to do yourself you're putting it on other people and yes those tasks might be amazing like you might decide that your company is quite big and you don't want to do the task of managing people anymore. So you pass that on to someone else. And those people pass on the laborious jobs onto the people below them. And as you keep going down, you feed feed down the chain. It gets finally to the point where you have the people right at the bottom who are maybe the cleaners who come in, you know, who clean the toilets and stuff. Um, and you almost, you feed that system of just, you know, what is it? It's just classism, isn't it? And uh, and, and to a certain degree, that's how life works and that's how nature works in itself as well. Because if you look at chimpanzees, they have a hierarchy system. All animals, you know, have the alpha at the top and then it filters down. But it's the way we deal with it. I think um, I'm listening to a Sadhguru uh, conversation last night. He said something really amazing that made me think as well. And it's maybe something why we are where we are in life. He says the issue when it comes to life and these sort of systems is we've become so obsessed with goals. We are goal oriented. So, for example, if we set up a company and our first goal is to try and make 100,000, regardless of how we make that 100,000, we'll try and achieve that 100,000. So even if it means that maybe nine months down the line, we hit the situation where we're in, a, we're in a crisis, we're in a global economic crisis, so we cut jobs, and then that way we save money, and then somehow we manage to get to that 100,000 mark. You know, we haven't really thought about how it's got us there. We've just decided that that's our goal and we're going to take every means possible to get to that goal. So he says, life doesn't work on that way. Life should work in an organic way, which is the process oriented. So we should be obsessed with the process of, of doing the, the job in hand and not being so focused on the goal, goal oriented mentality. He said that he went to this, um, he invited, actually he did it in India. He invited all of the top CEOs of the top 100 companies in India to come to this meeting or this sort of uh, event or workshop um, and they all arrived and one of the questions, the top question that they kept asking Sadhguru was, how is it that your Isha Foundation and all the foundations that you've established are better well managed and the systems and the, and the results and that you yield are so much better than any of our systems and we pay our guys like hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of pounds a year. Um, and yet you have a better system and you don't pay your people anything. They're all volunteers. And he goes, it's because what I've done there in that environment is created, make people become obsessed with the process, not obsessed with the goal. So, you know, you set your, like we said, you set end goal. Once you move away from the goal and you start enjoying the process, then people automatically know their place in that environment, what they need to do. And they're not so caught up of trying to achieve that goal, regardless of the cost of what it is to achieve that goal. And he goes, in an environment like that, you create, you bring the best out of the people. You know, you realize that each individual person is required in order to achieve, you know, to maintain the process going. You need that individual in that environment. So this is what he does. And he goes, if you look at, I don't know if you ever follow boxing, there's a, there's a fighter called Tyson Fury, mm. boxing. So I don't know if you know his history, but so his goal in life at the time was to become the world champion, right? World heavyweight champion. And um, his goal, the, the top fighter at the time was Klitschko, Vladimir Klitschko. And, and there were a couple of interviews I remember listening. I think it was the Joe Rogan podcast where he really opened up. And he said there were a couple of interviews that he had with, with 
prominent sort of pundits and, and the media and they kept asking him this one question once you've got to Klitschko and you've beaten Klitschko because he at that point obviously Tyson Fury is undefeated he goes he's got through all the top fighters Klitschko was the one he wanted to beat at the time he, and people were asking him once you beat Klitschko what's next for you and he was like well I haven't really thought about that and uh, I have no desire to think about that until I've got to that stage that's my only goal to beat Klitschko so when he did beat Klitschko he hit an all-time low after that. He went into depression. He gained, like, was it? He gained, like, 100 pounds within a very short period of time, drinking, doing drugs, eating crap. Just did because. he speed in as well? He yes. He killed himself. Yeah, so this is, this is that climax to that depression. He was just like, you know what? I have no goals now in life. I'm miserable. I've achieved that one goal that I set out to do. I've worked my entire life to being the best in the world and being the top guy. He's got to that goal, but he doesn't know what's beyond that now. So now he has no reason to live. So in his Ferrari, he just decided, you know what, screw this shit. I'm miserable. My family life is terrible. My relationship with my wife and my kids is terrible. I have no reason to live. So he just drove his Ferrari down this bridge and his goal was to kill himself, run over, run uh, beyond the bridge and just kill himself, uh, run himself off the bridge. And, and then he said he had this really weird, um, very sort of enlightening experience where he felt like God was talking to him. As Jesus Christ was talking to him and telling him, look, what the hell are you doing? You've got everything here. Your life now doesn't end here. It starts here. This is the starting point where you now go to the next level. So your your lifestyle before this was focused on trying to be the best, trying to be the best, accumulating as much wealth as possible. Now your next level up is trying to not just maintain being the best in the world, but also sharing this knowledge out and helping people with mental health out with depression and, and to trying people that are just trying to stop people from committing suicide um, you got, and once he had this higher purpose he came back and he became a better fighter than he ever was he lost he's been the leanest he's ever been since uh, the days of when he was boxing in his youth um, so he's the leanest he's ever been he's the best mentally he's ever been he doesn't drink so you know his, his mental state is better than what he was before and now he's doing stuff to help younger boxers out you know, going out there opening up these schools talking to people about boxing and what it is to manage the fame the wealth the glory and, and just the general sort of you know fame the celebrity lifestyle that comes with being a top level athlete um, and yeah he, he realized that it was because he was so goal oriented the fact that the only thing that revolved his life revolved around was getting this one goal. Once he got that goal, he didn't see anything beyond. So going back to Sadhguru, he says that if your life is goal-oriented, you're either going to become depressed once you achieve that goal because you don't know what's next or you move on to the next goal. So all you're doing is you're continuously chasing or you'll fall short and that will make you depressed. So there's no winning situation in that. You're just going to become miserable. So the way to do this is to fall in love with the process. So. The one thing that Tyson Fury had is he loved fighting. He loved boxing. That was in his blood. He's a gypsy. It's in his blood. So to just do it purely for the love of the game or the, the love of being in that environment. And that's why his fights now are just, you look at him and he's just so relaxed. He just takes his time now because he understands that I'm here where I want to be. I enjoy what I'm doing. And at the same time, even if I win or lose, that's not the point. The point is I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Plus I can help other people out. So I think that's what, you know, I give you, I've given you a very extreme situation, but this is something that I've gone through with my training. You know, something that you went through where you were doing the typical bodybuilding stuff and now you switched over to a lifestyle of, of bodyweight training and mental stuff as well. It's because you become 
you've done your goal-oriented lifestyle, you've, you've achieved your goals, and now you're switching over to something that's a bit more process-oriented. So, yeah. Yeah, great. I think to get into the ability of loving the process, it does take a big switch. Mm. It's realisation that those goals, and they can be useful and fun to play with, and I think that's how they should be used. Um, you know, as direction, as a point, oh, that's where I'm heading, but not making that thing what it's actually about. And it ties into the, the bigger scope of how we see life. Mm-hmm. Like if that was the point of the goal to finish and to complete, it would be about being alive and then dying as quick as you can. Like Alan Watts says about the best composers, if it was always about the goal or the end, mm-hmm. it would be who could get to the, the final note the quickest and boom, done. And there's so much in that. It sounds so simple and, and obvious. Um, so trying to reel it back and go back into the mindset of being it about goals it's just such an generally an unhealthy lifestyle not having goals is unhealthy it's living for the goal which is unhealthy yes, yeah. because you you hear so much conflicting advice it's on the contrary to what we're saying you know is it Tom Billu? I think his name's pronounced he's, he does great stuff and he's very so go out there and get it done and work hard and a lot of things that are necessary for somebody to get fired up very useful mm-hmm. but not to but only to use that stuff is when you're feeling oh I'm a bit slouchy and fine bring that material in and get the fire lit but don't see life as that way because it becomes detrimental then it's just about the goal it's about achievement because that's all that becomes is stacking up achieving the goals and working with somebody at the minute and you know they they want to hit a certain amount in sales and then they've done that and then they want to make a biggest bigger in another the business bigger in another way and then they want a better apartment and a biggest and it's like see that this doesn't end see that this cycle this pattern it, it will not end you will get a certain feeling or a buzz which will be temporary and it will bring a certain quality of person who supports that lifestyle to mm. keep that energy being fed but it's all just it's an inflation it's not going to be grounded it's not going to be anything that will take you somewhere beneficial all it'll make you see is about a goal orientated orientated lifestyle mm. and it's just another system it's it's if you can be in love with the process the thing that you're doing the way that Sadhguru structured his business it doesn't matter if you're the CEO or the manager or the middle guy or the, the cleaner it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. if you're in love with the process and you're bringing your worth to life in whatever sense that is I always think how simple it would be to, to um, I say simple, I don't mean in a disrespectful term, if I was to work as a barista or something, because I, I mean, I know there's a lot of effort and there's great baristas out there who I just could never, can't even turn the bloody thing what they do to get the coffee going. But to be in a cafe and have a simple lifestyle, this is my job, uh, talking to people, being quite positive or uplifting, like that person can have a great effect on all the people in that surrounding environment. Mm. You know, you go to coffee shops, um, not just for the feel of the place, but for the people who are in there and the servers. Like if I've been to ones and the servers just been, oh, yeah, and I'm like, you know, I like the place, but I don't want to go there again. Yeah. And it's not like a personal attack. It's I just, why would I be when there when there's somebody who's just always happy and polite and enjoys what they do around the corner? Like you mm. just look at it from that perspective. What energy do you want to be around? And that's I think people who are not going, oh, why don't I own a business or I'm at the head and got to make this dream come true there may be that going on but that can be in conjunction with I love the process I love what I'm doing and I'm here where I am or a very the minimum is under, I accept and understand where I'm at, at is for here right now mm. it's just a good energy to be around and your life is that whole process moving through it's not the goal set like that goal might give you a strategic advancement or give you a certain 
new level of ego or a new perspective to add to your personal experience. But if it just becomes that, it's hopping stones, always, yes. always, always, never being where we are, never going, oh, life's actually all around me right now and I'm here right now. But it can't be acknowledged if I've not achieved something to be here right now. You know, we like to punish ourselves, we like to work hard and we like to think everything's difficult to earn something for it before mm. we can be in life and enjoy it and put our feet up. Well, maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe we can live in that sense of, oh, we're already there. Mm. Now I'm going to enjoy my life. Because that, for me at least, it, it gets me creative as well, is from feeling, I've got to get this work out or I need to create this book or I need to do this session or structure something. That gives it a sense of pressure, sometimes a bit of fire, which is nice, but I much prefer going, ah, oh, I'm free today, what am I gonna do? Right, read a bit of this book, I'm gonna write and I'm gonna create something. That comes from the sense of freedom, not mm. from pressure for me. And a goal is pressure. A goal is an achievement to hit. It's not, you're there, so do what you want. Mm. Well, I don't, I don't really blame people for having that um, mental aspect of it because we get taught from the education system that you start off exams, Exams are a goal, a future goal in mind. You've got your coursework throughout the process, deadlines. They're all forms of goals um, that you you try and try and strive for. And we've just literally created a society that's based on goals. And like you said, don't get us wrong, it's it's done wonders for society. But also it's it's kind of held us back in a way. I've always felt like we could be a lot further if we had a more of a freer society in that sense, the freer, freer in the sense that people have more time to focus on things that they're actually interested in and they want to focus on. And for most other people, to try and find that. You know, a lot of people I talk to say, I can't seem to find something I want to, I actually enjoy. Well, have you tried it? No. So you know what I mean? So if, when you say, have you tried climbing? Or have you tried breathwork? Have you tried this and that? The first normal uh, instinctual answer would be, no, thank you. So it's, it's something that we, we can tie in with the last podcast. It's because we're living in a very masculine dominant society. Like Again, like we said, not masculine in the sense that it's men, but it's a sense of the energy. The energy is very masculine. It's order driven. When there's order, when we think about a list, a list is an order. When we talk about goal achieving, it's an order. So we, we're just basically ticking things off on a box. It's like, it's like tokens again. It's, we talked about that in two podcasts ago. It's tokenism where you, you want to collect everything and then once you've collected anything and someone asks you what you're going to do with all that, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. Um, I've always found a fascination with people who do that, who are collectors, collect cars, collect uh, stamps. It's like, okay, you've got the collection now. What are you going to do with it? Um, well, nothing really. Um, so I've always found it really deeply interesting. Um, and like I said, it ties in with that idea that we just want to, we want to put everything in order. And we want our life to be in order. And through order, it creates a linear process, a linear path. And we know that life is anything but linear. You know, anything can happen to you tomorrow. Anything can happen to a loved one. And it just throws you off uh, off your linear path. So we have to really think about these things. Um, and also tying this in with what we want to go into, into the workplace. Um, a large portion of the issues that we're suffering, not just in the workplace, but in the world, is because we have a very limited sense of self, what we deem as our self. So when women say at the workplace, that, well, when, uh, women that are supporting this idea of equality of outcome say is that, you know, we're this, we're oppressed, this is happening because we're women and, you know, we get treated like this. It's, Sadhguru says it's because we have a very limited sense of self. Who you are as a person 
Well, the first thing you see yourself is your exterior, which is you're a white male, you know, you're British, you are northern, you're from Manchester, this kind of thing. The more you go deeper into it, the more you limit yourself. So it's actually funny, something that we I mentioned to, we were talking to, uh, week, I was talking to one of my students about in class right now, uh, just before this podcast. Uh, we were just saying how she doesn't see the world as limiting. Yes, she has a boyfriend. Yes, she has dogs. Yes, she has responsibilities, but she doesn't define herself as those things. And we're so caught up. And most of the issues we have in today's world is because it stems from that idea that we are this one self, which is, you know, all those identities that you put in yourself. You're a vegan, you're, you know, you're for equality, you're this and that. You've limited yourself as opposed to looking at the world as this expansive form of, uh, like a, a collective, you know, a ball of thoughts and a ball of, of ideas and stuff instead of just limiting yourself to just one one path and one way and one one way of doing things. So this goes into the workplace where now we've decided that, okay, you're now my superior because you're my manager. Yes, you are because you've, you're delegating tasks to people, but it doesn't mean you're a superior in the sense that you're better than me. It means that you have a high position because you have high responsibilities. And I've, I've got a respect your position for that. I don't have those responsibilities as someone who works on the ground, but at the same time, because I don't have those responsibilities, I shouldn't expect to be paid the same as you. The same as if if I've if you were a uh, if you're a woman and you decide that, you know, you don't want to you don't want a job as a binman, you can't expect the world to be equal in that sense. You can't be saying, well, you know, we want equality in the sense that all people should work, you know, there should be a 50% workforce of men and 50% workforce of women that that should be a part of every industry, you know, because you feel like at the medicine or the social sciences, it's dominated by women. Teachers, how many teachers are men? Not many, right? When you think about school when you were young, I used to have one teacher in primary school that was a man. All the rest were women. Whereas if you look at stuff like engineers and bricklayers, all that is dominated by men. Now, if we say we want 50% workforce of men and 50% workforce of women, what you're doing is now when you're an employee, um, employer, sorry, and you're hiring people, you now have to select 50% women and 50% men. But you know that the men that are there, if you're, if you're in an industry where 95% of your work, workforce and people that are attracted to that job are men, you have to say, I've got to get rid of all the men that are really competent, highly competent, and I have to limit it to 50%, and I have to select women that are competent, yes, but they, in a population where you have more men that are doing the job than women, you're obviously going to get more competence in the men as opposed to the women. That's just a natural fact. Same as any jobs that have women that are dominant. So like more maternal base. Yeah. You know, like the social sciences, you're going to get the same environment. If you suddenly now turn around and say, we're going to pick 50% men now, you're not going to achieve the competence you want. You're not going to achieve the level you want to get to. Um, and like I said just previously, this is one of the reasons why we're held back in society. When we watch movies from 20, 30 years ago and where they would project their movie in a timeline that was 20, 30 years ahead. So for example, Blade Runner, look at how advanced they thought we would be now. The original Blade Runner was set in 2019, which is last year. And they thought we'd be flying in cars and, and you know, um, cities would be these massive skyscrapers that go into the sky. 
Um, and the only thing they got right was the depression. <laughs> depressed everyone. And, and yeah, so if you look at the main theme that's consistent and what's happening is how miserable people are mm. in those environments. That's one thing that stayed, but the technology hasn't increased because we haven't increased the competence because we're so worried about very mundane topics like, oh, there should be 50% men and 50% women in a workforce. You know, stuff like that. So, yeah, how do we how do we address that as a society? Sensibility, <laughs> being sensible towards it. Like how can you how can you have fifty percent across the board in those things? And is anybody actually asking for that? I wonder because the outcries are when people when there's something to be outcried about. Oh, this person at Google was sexist, or this person said this, or I don't get paid enough. Like Black Lives Matter, bring it to the field, and it, it gets put in the attention. So. I, how much needs to be affected just within that field or with that particular issue or how much is it across the board that you know that equality has to be seen everywhere because those examples you use are great the example of a bricklayer or example of um, maybe primary school nurseries are yeah. uh, more female um, dominant, dominant yeah, yeah. Um, and seeing like it just if those if the guys are good at that and they're happy to do it and the women aren't and the women are good at that and they're happy to do it and the guys aren't it just makes sense doesn't it so I think that neatly just sums up that idea of equality across the board in all things is is ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's it's not realistic at all. And this is why equal opportunity, yes, but equality, no, because it, it won't work. It can't. And look at that in a political and economic sense. Why isn't communism? Mm. You know, why is it never took off, or why has it always been seen as a disease and something to be to be cast out? Not that the whole thing should be, because there's probably a utopian idea where it can flourish and work, but for that to flourish and work, you need an individual mindset that will play its part in that. Yes. And the roles that it's given won't. People won't. They'll rebel. The education we have, there's still self-centered thinking of I. Um, oh, that I'm going to take more just because that person, because I can, you know, when something's free and people want more of it rather than, oh, I've had mine and leave it be. Mm. It's difficult because you have to rely on an individual to be respectful and responsible and think of the whole and difficult to do in the, the current state of consciousness and current state of how we how we live our lives, um, driven through fear and through goals and what I need to achieve and the American dream, mm. you know, the American dream, you can be whatever you want and do whatever you want, cut all the throats you need to to get there and to make it happen. It's just not a healthy, healthy way to live and we are taught that way. The education system teaches us to think that way, um, that the world's always out to get us and you've got to make it work for yourself, which really does eradicate the enjoyment of the process or to be alive and involved in the process. Mm. But when it's goal orientated, you you do get to narrow the vision and you get to be like, no, I can push things out to the side or I don't have to have the responsibility of thinking, should I do my recycling or whatnot? Because everybody else isn't and you know things like that. The whole process is make it all flower, make it bloom, make it as positive and as beneficial for everybody that will naturally remove you out of the, the small self and into the bigger self because it's all affected. And you know that, I think that awareness comes, it comes with time and it comes with as you mature or if you've been into spiritual teachings earlier and you recognize it from that earlier perspective, then great. And um, that what we're doing isn't just about ourselves. And if we want one goal to make it a goal that benefits everybody, Yes. It has to be ticked off. I think, as we said earlier, those certain levels of achievements for an individual yeah. probably need to be exhausted first, yeah. unless they have that, oh, what am I doing? You know, at an earlier point. Yeah, I think um, you can't have a world where 
equality exists and individual individuality exists. You have to have either have one or the other. If you believe that you and I are not the same and we're individuals and we have our own views and values, etc., all this kind of stuff, then you can't believe in a world of equality because equality basically means that everything is allocated in a way. You know, if we're going to go with the allocation thing where 50% of the workforce is men and 50% is women, then it also means that you should do the same thing with everything else. So when you choose your partner, you shouldn't choose your partner. We should get a random choice from, you know, get a random Just randomizer. Yeah, get a randomizer from Google and let them randomly choose a person for you, um, regardless of their distance or whatever. It's just a random choice. If you're actually going to go with that world and you're going to respond to a world where it's more more about, you know, equality and everyone has to be at the equal level, then that's the only way it exists. This is why, like you said, socialism and communism failed. They failed because it's, it's, it's built on the premise that everyone has to be equal. And, and the idea on paper looks good. Like I used to read, um, I remember when my friend and I used to have these debates back in university, I was always more left-leaning and he was always more right-leaning. And uh, I always said, look, if we had the perfect world, there wouldn't be these issues. But he would always say, this is what the, your, the issue with your mentality is. You think this perfect world exists, and you have this so you have so much hope in people that you think it's, it's able you're able to achieve this world, but you what you don't what you fail to see is the greed in people. When you have an environment where everyone is on the same plane, you'll always have one person. All it takes is one person to say, actually, you know what, I can benefit from this. You know, I can get control of this, and this is what's happened in the past. Putin, you've got communist China, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, it's come about because you've had an establishment, like they had the government who said, we're going to take power and we're going to rationalize everything and say, this is how it should be. And everyone has to pay us. So you get one central power that says, we're going to abuse the system. And, and then the whole system fails. Now you have a lot of individuals who will say, well, that's because in the past they've, they've implemented it in the wrong way. Well, how would you implement it? Well, I would create a society where we get rid of money Okay, so then what is the resource of exchange? Well, there aren't a resource of exchange. There's this theory of resource-based economy where, you know, we allocate things and then you return them when you don't need them. So for example, you know, if you want to play your Switch, yeah, you play it for however long you want and then when you don't need it, you return it. But then you're building that on the premise that everyone has, you have to have a system where all of the tasks that we do, like laborious tasks are taken care of. We don't have that system yet. We don't have machines that are doing that for us. So if we live in a world where all of the machines are taking care of all of the tasks that we're doing, you know, even basic tasks like wiping your ass, you know, if you've got a machine that does that for you, then fair enough, you know, you've got a place or a ground where you can build that kind of society. But then in that society, you have to strip away capitalism because then a doctor is not going to say, because you're, then you're stripping away professions. Because a doctor is not going to say, oh, I'm just going to get rid of my job and switch over to this uh, resource-based economy where we're allocating things, but yeah, I'm gonna still be a doctor and work, well, work or just give my time. Let's take the way work away from that. The word work, the word work away from that title and say, allocate a time, 20, of my, 20 hours of my time to um, this practice of helping people out when I don't need to, when I can just do what that person who's a bricklayer could just sit at home and not do anymore because you've got a machine that's already doing that for him. You know, these kind of things we have to really think about because on paper it looks good. And it's something I was listening to Jordan Peterson talk about with the whole um, global warming pandemic. You know, it is almost a pandemic because people are always complaining about it on the side of anything else. So when it comes to politics of, 
you know, uh, trying to solve certain economic problems, someone always comes up and says, what about the global environment issue? Um, and again, he, it was funny because he was, I think it was Cambridge University or Oxford University. They had like a university union and he was doing, he was the, the guest speaker. And someone, he always, he always says, he always gets these questions where someone comes out and says, well, what about the environment? And he said, well, in solving the environment is not a very simple thing. It's very complex. It's not as simple as just saying, well, let's just make all the cars green. Let's make them all electric. Well, do you know how those batteries are made? Uh, well, no, I don't know how these batteries are made. Well, that's what the problem is. Those batteries are made from using raw materials, you know, extracting, uh, what is it? The, um, from the mines. What is it? What's mine? It's not lithium. 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 Yeah, extracting lithium comes from mines. That in itself is a raw material. You are you're having to go through this procedure. And then to actually manufacture the battery, you're having to do this you know, lab- laborious thing. So regardless of what you think is green for the environment, like solar panels. Solar panels are terrible for the uh, the environment. The manufacturing of solar, pan- solar panels is terrible, terrible for the, uh, the environment. But you're thinking about the end product all, all times. Oh, well, the end product is, well, we create a greener environment. But what about getting to that stage? That's not green itself. So all these little things we have to really think about. And the one thing that we should be focusing on, as opposed to just say, let's focus on global warming, let's focus on recycling, let's focus on this and that, is um, bringing people out of poverty. That's one thing we can do by bringing people out of poverty and increasing their, you know, their daily sort of, uh, welfare and their well-being, you create, you bring in at least you know a couple of hundred million people out of the the idea of survival into the idea of let's educate ourselves, let's bring 150 million people or maybe 250 million more people into this education system, so we have more minds to work on these these problems that we're having, so we have more people to problem solve, um, as opposed to just saying let's get rid of global warming by you know decreasing carbon footprints or you know decreasing the CO2 levels or this and that. And it's very abstract level of thinking because you're looking at the end product again. We're looking at the goals again, you know, as opposed to the process of getting there. So we have to really look at the process and how the process needs to be implemented in the system. And this is what Jordan Peterson said, and he kind of shot down the idea immediately. And this guy was very defensive about it, but when he thought about it, people were actually, there were more people clapping at the end because they realized that, yeah, this idea, on paper, it sounds great, get rid of uh, global warming. Like, what was that lady? Um, I think... Yeah, she was. She was so easy to say. Well, you know, well, I'm not. I don't want to live in a world, and I don't want my kids to live in this world where there aren't any trees and this and that. And it's so easy to say that where we are right now, because she lives in a very privileged first world country. You know, if you want to use that word privileged, she lives in a first world country where she can have those thoughts. What happens when you're in the middle of Africa? You're barely making one dollar a day. You're barely able to feed your, your your kids and your your family, and and survival is your main priority. You don't have time to think about saving the environment. You know, it's not an option for you. Survival is your main priority and your main option. You don't have time to sit there and think. Actually, how can I make organic fruit and vegetables? You don't have the opportunity to do that. So, how can you say that and, and think like this for the rest of the world? when the rest of the world is living like that. Yes, when we elevate those people and bring them to a level where their standard of living is great and it's, it's pretty much on par with maybe even our working class in this country. You know, our working class is better than what this these third world countries are going through in their, in their upper classes. Their upper classes are also living on scraps as well. So 
it's something that we have to really think about before we start saying, well, this is what the issue is. And then it always comes back to that equality problem. Well, you know, we're oppressed and these people are not oppressed. Let's bring it back to level. That's not the way to do it, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, working with income and <laughs> people's ideas and when you're brought up, you know, just the, the national lottery that we have on, on where we're born and, and what it can afford us is... It's interesting because you want to think of how you raise everything up in that instance you're saying is working with poverty and what a great way to do it, work with the lowest areas. It kind of has to come from the people within the environment, I think, or and the people who have the ability to help or somebody who's willing to take up the fight, like Martin Luther King, somebody who's you know had enough of what they're going to do and finds a, a very all-inclusive approach of making the, the issue brought to the public domain and to the right people who can instigate change. Um, and it, it, it's, these elements always need to be brought up for us to have that big picture of see how to, mm. to tackle something. Poverty and hunger, they're just so bizarre because they don't need to exist. They and it, it will teach us so much about the state of the world or the minds at least that run it and, and the choices and also actually our responsibility and what we do with the things that we buy because that's how we speak with our, our money. Um, but yeah, like those issues don't need to be there. So what would happen if they got sorted? Like just in the sense of the Western view, we pay enough, we have enough money, we'll pay the bills, have some food, eat out or pay for your house or raise a family, whatever you want to do. Mm. It makes sense that we're working to afford freedom, that we get the money so we can be freer. Also, what do you want with your goals? Do you want the house so you can have even more freedom from that? Do you want to be able to retire early, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but what what do you do with that freedom? Like, What constitutes your life? And something that we spoke on earlier, that people don't give themselves or don't create, therefore don't allow enough freedom in their life to actually question, what can I do with my free time? Mm. Or who am I? Or what do I want to be? Or what do I want to do for the earth? Do I want to tackle these bigger, deeper problems? Um, you know, carbon emissions or the global warming or how systems are run. That's got to come from a movement inside, hasn't it? And then, you know, as you're saying with the carbon emissions, we can look at those, the branches of the tree and keep going, oh, actually, it's not that one. We need to go further in and, and keep tackling bit by bit. But to decide that you want freedom to figure out your life, again, you said earlier that there's people who they don't know what it is and one, they don't try the things, but... I think a big issue is we don't give ourselves the freedom to sit down and go, what do I want for my life? Because we're too busy being goal orientated on getting enough money or going out for this thing or doing that thing and not just sitting and going, what is it to be alive? Like, what is all this energy that I'm created from? What is it that I can see <laughs> the world around me operate and the stars come out at night and see the sun and all this madness that occurs like, it just even just thinking about it just makes something go what the hell is going on with my life and we give that away to these systems of thought because these systems are not just whether it's the prison system or uh, communist system capitalist system whatever they are within us and they create a thought structure so when it's goal orientated or a system way of thinking we're a part of something whether we want to be or not or whether we're aware of it or not which 
so many of us aren't aware that we're in a system and we think within a system my day is structured this way and I get this, this that done and I'm going to get this goal at the end of it and then there's my achievement yes those things can be beneficial as I've said earlier they definitely can be but it's not to stay into them or to live in them because you're just a living system then well you're not even alive like you're just a system mm-hmm. going through checks just like a computer can do it does its job and then it shuts down and it wakes up and it does its job again like enough of that like that isn't what life is it's helpful but know that we're using that system as we're alive mm. you know as we're like let's tackle poverty or hunger or um global warming but let's do it as we're alive let's tackle i need to pay the bills and um, so i'm going to do this job and try and skew it to something i enjoy or be a part of the process and be alive while doing it not just gone not just switched off you know not just becoming for a goal because it's so tantalizing i think it's like the temptation isn't it what do you get when you goal? Well, I've achieved more. Maybe I'm more of a person now, or maybe I can die happy because I've done mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. But it's just so layered. It's so, so tricky and so false because that's not what life is. Mm-hmm. It can be a great, wonderful experience and a part of life, but you can't be defined by those goals where that's really what we do. We define life by the goals and yeah. by, by the thinking system that we have. And it's just a mirage. So how do we move away from that system? So obviously a few of us have kind of implemented lives where we've now distanced ourselves from that system. In a way, we're still part of the system. I mean, it's fine to be completely part of the system, but it just basically not being your main focal point. So how do we teach the mass how to not even move away from the system, but to try and experience a life beyond that system, to know that there is another, there's another way. You don't have to go the typical way, you know, just grind, 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 and then just grinding yourself down to the ground. Because I think Sadhguru once said that, you know, it's just the one thing that's going to happen is you're going to grind yourself to the grave and that's it. That's the one thing that's guaranteed and that's the one thing that's going to happen for sure. Either you do it early before everyone else or you do it, you long it out and that's what's going to happen. And so how do we teach people and make people more aware of this, uh, this, 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 whole, this idea that there's another way of taking this uh, path? <clears throat> Self-reflection. Um, on a not even a regular basis but just being interested in what life is I think takes us there mm. uh, because you see it's beyond the systems as you said there is always a system whether it's the natural system of what the bees mm. are doing or whether it's the, the days and the nights and the seasons it's part of a natural system the mind that we have has created broken systems and we think that that's how it has to be and we're so adhered to that system that we just create ourselves further and further into illness mm. and Krishnamurti's quote uh, to be deemed sick by an ill society is not, you know, it's, I can't remember the end of the call, but it's not like a true um, prescription. Because it isn't, it's, a, it's an ill mind and a broken system that's judging and telling you to be a broken system and just use your mind this way and give your life to that. Now I think to get out of the system is you register your unhappiness for a start. Like if you are happy doing what you're doing, great. See if you can extend that to being happier with other people and for other people where you're seeing suffering going on and can my life include that to, to raise that up a little bit. Mm. And that way at least you're, you know, you're doing your part in an external environment too, not just for yourself. Um, but to to see how are you feeling day to day and why are those feelings there? And also your thoughts, how do you think? Just f- for me, I'd ask, how is it that I can think? Like mm. just the madness of having a mind that can think is such an incredible gift what am I going to apply that to? To sat down and doing nothing and just paying the bills without awareness of what I'm doing it for, to give myself freedom, to use the mind or to be a part of life and to look around and see that that journey from 
birth to death is just what you do with it, mm. you know? <clears throat> and trying to do it in the most caring way, in the most giving way, in the most, um, what's the word? Fulfilling way for everything around or just to observe in a fulfilling way, just to look at that plant or to look outside and see that it's life. It's just all of it's life. Mm. And maybe those, that sort of sentiment doesn't move people, but it's finding something that moves you and putting it under the microscope more, under the magnifying glass and to see what, what moves you about it. Because the system and the, the paying the bills and doing the thing without the energy of what you're creating it for or generating the energy to do more of what life is, is just so pointless. Mm. Like I wouldn't, I do like Krishnamurti said, he's never done a day's work in his life in the sense of to get money. He's like, I would never ever. And he's so like, no, I would not give my life to that. And I admire that. He's brought up and raised in a different system where he didn't have to as well, which was fortunate for that. Um, but to know that you're in that system and you're, you're using it as for what it's for, not to become a slave to it, not to become unconscious that you're in part of the system and you're paying the bills just because it, it's getting us somewhere. And for me, that somewhere is to have the level of freedom as frequently as possible, which comes through sense of mind and sense of uh, understand self, self-knowledge and self-understanding and, and knowledge of life. Because the mind is like uh, those Russian dolls you know, when all the systems of the mind are, when you come out of one, you're in another, and then you come out of another and you're in another, the box just keeps getting bigger and bigger so you can have free thought and you can stack so many different perspectives and see so many other views that you're not inclusive or exclusive of. You keep letting go and growing and growing and let's start with what system are we in? Right now, what system is this person who's listening? What do you pay your money to? What do you do with your free time? How do you generally feel daily? What do you want for the world? Mm. And are you doing anything for the world in that regards or not? Or is it kept inside selfishly or unconsciously because we don't think we can do anything with it or that we shouldn't or whatever. You're a part of life. Do something with that. Do something for life. Even if that is coming in, cleaning the toilets with a smile on your face mm. and imbuing a nice positive energy because you understand that that part of your role in society and in the system generates cleanliness for people and you're you have a simple life because of it so when we're in that sense not oh, i've got to do this job and but i need to make the money to get that holiday and to feel like that and like that'll pass it's mm. the mindset that digs into that further and further into your mind and into your being that that's the only way to be and it's insidious and it's just nasty and eats away at you over time like free your sense of self free your sense of mind look around at what life is look at what we have now and look at what you want for it just start there yeah how can it not upheaval your life you know if you know what you want life to be but you're not doing anything about that and i don't mean in an angry fiery passion sense of how we were with the protests or thinking oh it's so big i can't do anything like just get the feeling going if that's more love in the world do stuff that you love more yeah. and then tell somebody that you love them it doesn't have to be a partner or you know just share happy, things like that and it will grow and you'll find your path People who don't know what they want to do, it's because they don't sit down and generate the feeling of what is it that I want to do? Or well, they don't try enough of those things. But you're alive, you can do what you want to do. You can create it, you can feel it, you can imagine it, you can write about it. Mm. Just generate something, some good vibes, some good feelings and, and put it out. Yeah, so that's summarizing everything that we just talked about. So it's moving away from goal-oriented goal obsession. And obviously, like we said, goal orientation, like setting goals are fine but moving away from the obsession of setting goals and then going into not um identifying yourself in the most 
smallest possible way. You know, look at yourself greater than just the person, the weak sort of uh, white, you know, straight male or whatever you whatever you identify yourself as, or a female or black or whatever. Moving away from that. Thirdly, moving away from this idea that you're a victim. So moving away from equality and always trying to think that everything needs to be equal because you're part of the victimhoodness, a uh, victimhoodness that word, the victimhood, um, and taking the responsibility to say, how do I want to see my life going or where do I want to take my life in terms of what do I want to do or what am I going to find that's going to make me happy? You know, these kind of things, these kind of questions. Times like this is the most unique time. And I said it to a friend of mine the other day. I said, this whole lockdown period that we had, it's, it's a forced form of, you know, it's like when uh, when you were young and your mum scolded you and you, had, you were grounded. It's a forced form of self-reflection to think about what you've done um, not just like what we've done to the planet, but what you, what you've done in terms of what we've done up to that moment in time, in terms of your, your your career path, your hobbies, your friends, your everything that you've done up to that moment in time. To sit there, to think about it, and think, okay, what do I want to change, or what do I want to you know add to it? Um, so these little things that we kind of take for granted, and and you know a lot of motivational people talk about this kind of stuff um, and say, you know, this is what you should be doing. But again, it's it's again it comes from a point of view of chasing. A lot of this motivational stuff, the reason why people get into motivational stuff is they're chasing something. You're chasing a particular body, you're chasing a particular um, sense of success or wealth, etc. And it's moving away from chasing, get the, get the chase out of the way and do the, the actual process of running without attachment towards a chase. You know, a lot of people um, through the lockdown were running. A lot of people got into running and it was purely for the fact that they were running and nothing else. Not that something was chasing, not that they were chasing a goal, anything like that. It's just purely for the art of running. And if you're doing it purely for the art of whatever you're doing, then, you know, you can't really go wrong. Yes, you're going to fall off a couple of times. Like, going, I keep bringing back climbing because that's one of my things I'm doing at the moment. But yeah, you're going to fall off the wall and you're going to hurt yourself. But are you going to just stop doing it because it's hurt you once? You know, because that process, it comes along with a package. The package that... You take this journey, you learn through the process of falling off and then going back onto it again. And that's what really develops, that's what the process is, it's development of, of the the sort of the character is through the process itself, not through the goal. Because if you think about all the goals you've achieved, you really don't develop anything once you've got to a goal. So let's say if something that you wanted to achieve in life came to you instantly, like the best example is lottery, when you win the lottery. You haven't really done anything in the process to deserve that, which means that you won't have any idea or discipline to to use it in the right way. So you'll splash it, you'll end up buying cars, you'll buy a really nice house, buying booze and, and all that. And by the end of it, you've run out of money and you've, you're exactly where you were before that that money came into all. If anything, you'll be more in a insecure environment where you know, you've created this this false environment where you've attracted these people that, that have come to you because of that reason. You've got the wealth and they want to be a part of that, but you've lost all the other people that were really there for you for the real reason, which is for you as a person. So really think about that aspect. How do I create this environment where, you know, I'm, I'm in love with the process and not in love with the, the goals setting aspect. And it's, it's very interesting because it goes against everything that's happening in life today because it's all about that, isn't it? And even people that are there for the right reason, they initially start off with the right reason. I want to create this company, for example, where you are right now. I want to create this movement where, you know, I'm teaching people breathwork and, and bringing people out of their miseries. But then eventually you start realizing that actually, I'm getting a couple of clients that are paying me quite a lot of money. 
and then you get caught up with that and then again it switches but so you have to be conscious of that and be uh, big enough as an individual to say am I getting caught up with that aspect of it now the material aspect which is the wealth the, the fame etc am I going to bring it back to the grandiness so this is where the Isha Foundation compared to uh, what Osho had you know the wild wild country the, the sort of the, the plot of land that he had and the movement that he had it's two very similar gurus coming from two very similar backgrounds which is the eastern approach but one decided to use his money and, and fame and everything and still does it to this day for the good of humanity always gives and not, not really spends a lot of money on himself well he can do because he likes golf and he likes his bikes and this and that and that's fine you know you're doing these things because this is what you did anyway this is what he loved to do it's the process of doing it anyway but he doesn't use it to to kind of you know he doesn't lavish in it he doesn't make his lifestyle even more extravagant than it is whereas Osho and I get it he was a very quiet man but if you look at what he did I originally thought he had 17 Rolls Royces he had 70 oh and and again you know it's that mentality of yes you could say you could argue that maybe he was that was his process of, of fulfillment but 70 Rolls Royces what are you going to do with those 70 Rolls Royces you can only what are you going to do with five well you can only <laughs> drive one one particular time you cannot drive 70 at the same time you can't even drive two so what do you do with that thing well you don't do anything you just kind of accumulate and that's what happens mm -hmm. so it's really moving away from that mentality of goal oriented and just accumulation move away from that and and create a better life for yourself and and, and always I always say you know this life that you've been given it's, it's a gift so when you die what are you going to give to the world what are you going to give back to the world for giving you such an opportunity you know, you could be born as an animal or you could be born as something else, like a plant or something. And, and even they do better than us at giving. You know, they all, they give, yeah. their entire life is based on giving. So what are we going to do to, when we die, when we go to the grave, what kind of service are we, are we going to give to the world? And uh, yeah, that, I think that scares me more that I'm going to die not giving anything to the world than anything else. I think that's what wakes me up and, and makes me realise that this is why I need to do it during the daytime, to try mm -hmm. and pass this on to other people as opposed to just be like, oh, I'm up now, what can I take from the world? Um, so yeah, I think that is a great place to wrap up. Any last words to that? I think that's great, man. Um, I agree, really good sentiments. Finish on is what you want to have given to the world or is it just to have given to yourself? And it's also a great way to get over insecurities is, I can't remember who said the quote, but no, but, oh, Wayne Dyer, uh, nobody should die with the music still mm -hmm. inside them. And that can be, yeah, whatever is it you want to share and give to the world and the thing that you love doing like get it out get past the insecurities or what will people think or say and just do it because that feeling it's telling you to do it that's what life is you're meant to be doing that thing yeah amazing words right so this was supposed to be about equality and, and the work environment but we kind of divulged into like goal oriented uh, compared to process oriented um, yeah I think we went the right organic way as opposed to just staying true to the order of what the system is telling us. Yeah, a bit of structure, <laughs> chaos and order. Always well, this is how it goes, doesn't it? It's you create, you plant the seed. You have a very vague goal. Let's say you want to learn to skydive, and you you learn to skydive. So what's next? You you evolve that into other aspects. Like mm. what can I do with my skydive? Well, you can do what David Blaine did: ascension, grab a pair of balloons and just go flying in the <laughs> air and do something that's insane and just out there. You know, stuff like that. We have to really go beyond the very mundane levels. And those mundane levels might be something pretty amazing still. Like for example, you know, you might decide to 
to get into climbing and you become a professional climber. So what's the, the next goal which is out there? Well, try and climb without ropes. <laughs> and that's what your love for something will do. It will, it will take away the, nest, the goal for the goal's sake and it will do because you love to do it. The yes. progression comes with that. Like yeah. uh, with my bow staff, put it off for ages when I started to learn it, four hours at a time in the gym and you know, I just go upgrade it and get better ones and learning using two swords. And <laughs> You're a wizard. Nunchucks. Yeah, wizard. Like all of that's come from just doing, there was no goal about it. So I just want to do it. Well, I suppose that's the goal. I wanted to learn it, but not to get to any stage. It's just competency. And it just keeps growing and growing. That's a great way to live. You know, finding what it, because you do that through what you love doing. Mm. Like we don't say, right, we have to do 26 podcasts. Oh, we've got to do a hundred. We just do it because yeah. we love to do it. Yeah. And if someone comes from it, great. If it doesn't, great. You know, I'm not going to not work and not pay the bills hoping that something happens with this because it's yeah. not the point. It's like if you can turn your job into doing it and you can balance getting your economical structure funded, like again, if you're working in Tesco or what have you, and that's, you pay the bills and you work there and you get to do the thing you love on the outside because you're working hours, great. Perfect, so you yeah. can be balanced with that and happy. It's yeah. not, now I need more money for that. It's find a lifestyle that works to, to be in your passion, to be in your creativity. I think that's where a lot of the YouTube guys have done so well. The people that do really well in YouTube, it starts off just a side thing, mm. you know, just goofing around for two or three years and then the algorithm builds up, the subscribers build up. And then before you know it, you've got something that becomes your job. But this is the other thing, to separate it from the job to something you do and you get paid for it are two different things and there's a fine line between the two. What we should be striving for is that point where, you know, the job no longer is a job. So for example, people love photography right so they do photography as a job and they start working for clients and then they realize that actually the projects that the clients want me to do are not the things i want to work on but then the stuff i want to work on really i don't have an audience for it so you have to get to that stage you have to still do the stuff for the clients you're doing something that you like which is photography but you're, you're serving a purpose which is a client comes to you and says i want this particular type of style mm -hmm. and you don't like that but you still got to do it because it's part of what you enjoy but then you elevate yourself you do the stuff on the side which is something people kind of stop doing so you might find you know for example working for block or working for you know these gyms is quite nice and it's, it's making me money and i enjoy it but it's not the thing i want to get to or it's not something i i would say this is a job i do and, and i love doing it and, and it doesn't feel like a job it's something i'm getting paid for doing it's, it's a task i'm doing a hobby i'm doing that i'm getting paid for doing mm. that's not it yet but it's in the right environment i'm getting there mm. so it, it's having that aspect so when we talk about not settling, it's not settling in that aspect. It's, it's finally creating that environment like Alan Watson, Christian Murder says, like I would never work. They would say, I would never work. You know, what I'm doing, I talk and people pay me for it. You know, to get to that stage where when you talk and people pay you for it, that is a true sort of freedom job. It's the one where you're not attached to, where people come for you for your whatever you're going to say, as opposed to you going out there and saying, well, you know, I'll do this task for you. Mm. You know, this is what this podcast is doing right now, which is, we would do this if there was one person watching. We would do this if there was a million people watching. It's exactly how it is. We enjoy what we're doing. And if something comes out of it in terms of financial gain, great. If it doesn't, great. Mm. There's, there's nothing to win and there's nothing to lose. It's just always, I guess it's always a win-win situation for yeah. us. So it's getting to that stage. And I think your life, as if you're going to have one goal, you know, that has to be your goal in life. To create this environment where now whatever you do people are willing to pay for it regardless of whatever comes out of your mouth or whatever you do in your hands in terms of creatively so whatever you do people are willing to pay a service for that and that's it and you're not having to 
conform to what other people want you to do. Yeah, once in a while you might do it here and there, mm. but generally speaking, whatever you do, your whole existence is an expression. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We're done? Done, man. I Perfect. need to shoot, my friend. <laughs> right. So this was episode number 26. Again, Instagram, Spotify, and YouTube. That's where we're going to be on. Hopefully, we'll see you on the next one.